verse 21 of Acts chapter 19. And it begins like this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let them, let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowds prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them, charge, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. We talked about this a little bit last week. But new life in Christ expels the old. We saw that formula in the last portion of the Scripture that we read last week that basically said if you lift the name of Christ up, if His name is extolled, then the church will begin to purge itself. The church will begin to get right. And when that happens, we'll have more of an influence as outsiders see the difference and the change in our lives. And just as they did in the city of Ephesus, they'll come to a saving faith and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. New life in Christ expels the old. 
seasons of life change. And sometimes we are forced to shake off the old leaves, so to speak. What do I mean? Well, I came across a story this week by Donald Barnhouse in his book, Let Me Illustrate. And I want to share a brief portion of it with you this morning. He writes, shortly after the armistice of World War I, Dr. Barnhouse visited the battlefields of Belgium. In the first year of that war, the area around the city of Mons was the scene of the great British retreat. In the last year of the war, it was the scene of a greater German retreat. For miles to the west of the city, the roads were lined with artillery, tanks, trucks, and other materials of war which the Germans had abandoned in their hasty flight. It was a lovely day in spring. The sun was shining. Not a breath of wind was blowing. As Dr. Barnhouse walked along examining the German war material, he noticed that leaves were falling from the great trees that arched above the road. He brushed a leaf that had blown against his chest. It became caught in the belt of his uniform. As he picked it out, he pressed it in his fingers and it disintegrated. Dr. Barnhouse looked up curiously and saw several other leaves falling from the trees. It was not autumn. There was no wind to blow them off. They were the leaves that had outlived the winds of autumn and the frosts of winter. Now they were falling seamlessly without cause. Then he realized that the most potent force of all was now causing them to fall. It was spring. The sap was beginning to run. The buds were beginning to push from within. From down beneath the dark earth, the roots were taking life and sending it along the trunk, the branch and the twig until that life expelled every bit of deadness that remained from the previous year. It was, as I know of no clearer or more beautiful illustration of how the new life of Christ expels the old, as the seasons of life roll past and we shake off the old leaves, some hold fast. But as the new life of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ grows within us, those leaves will quietly and surely drop away. This is precisely what happened in Ephesus, he wrote, when through the persistent labors of Paul, the church began to repent of its dead leaves so that believers came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Verse 18, their lives took on such an authenticity that many of the other townspeople came to Christ and fueled a great bonfire with their idols. This is exactly what happened here in this Bible story. Due to Paul's hard work and persistence that we talked about last week, the church was repenting. We see in verse 18, authenticity came into their lives. Others accepted Christ as a result. The old dead leaves were falling away. They were becoming new creatures in Christ. New people. As I look at this passage of Scripture this morning, and as we consider those dead leaves in our lives, those old things that need to pass away so that all things can become new, there's a pattern that I see in this passage. What takes place when that process begins in our lives? When we truly give ourselves over to the Spirit, to His leading and His guiding and His direction for our lives. And so first of all this morning, I see that when the leaves fall away, when that newness begins to come into our lives, we can expect persecution. 
We can expect persecution. Look back with me at Scripture at verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a little while. Paul was ready to move on to other areas. The church was now growing in Ephesus. People's lives were were being changed. And he was ready for a new area of ministry. Paul felt a sense of accomplishment about what had happened. He had worked hard. He had had labored and toiled. And he had a well-deserved sense of satisfaction at what was taking place here in this church. He was excited about moving on. He He was excited about going somewhere new and having the opportunity to minister to new faces. But that anticipation wouldn't last long. It was not to be. There was violence brewing. And we see continuing on in verse 23, it says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. Prior to this surge of the church here in Ephesus, the local artists and business people had a, had a good thing going. They had a good business. R. Kent Hughes has said that the epicenter of Artemis worship was a black meteorite that had either resembled or had been fashioned into an image of a woman. The lower part was wrapped like a mummy and the image was covered with round objects that were signifying the ova of bees. The idol was covered with breasts, symbolizing fertility. This was what they worshipped. This was the cult that was popular in Ephesus at this time. And it was the local economy was dependent upon this cult's business, this Artemis worship, this fertility cult. Enter a man named Demetrius, a local silversmith who, who made shrines to this particular goddess. He made his living working for these people. And his persecution of Paul and and the way the church was economically motivated, it was hurting his business, it was cutting into his profit margins, and he would begin to lead this effort to stop the message of the church that Paul was proclaiming. Look with me at Scripture once again to verse 28. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And then even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. 
Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul and the church at Ephesus were about to be assaulted this day because dead leaves were giving way to new life, to repentance. There was a change taking place within these people. They even spent their money differently. And it was hurting these artists and these business people. It was damaging the local economy. It's understandable why they were being persecuted. These people of the way were a perceived threat to the, to the financial industries of Ephesus. One author said that if a professing Christian church today were to undergo the repentance and new life experienced by the Ephesian church and faithfully live out the implications of such faith, the wrath of this world would soon fall upon it. Why? Because true Christianity calls for a spirit of sacrifice even financially, but our pleasure-seeking, hedonistic economy rests on a hope-for-profit margin, even if it's only a single percentage point. Monetary gain is seen as the highest good. And when it's threatened by commitment to Christ, dot, 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 and we'll let it hang there. Imagine what would happen if repentance and conviction swept through the church today. Paul and the church hadn't necessarily attacked idolatry and false gods in Ephesus, but because their lives were being changed, it was making a difference in that town. It was damaging this cult, this worship of Artemis. The Spirit was filling people. The Spirit was guiding people's lives. How they spent their time, what they spent their money on was now different their love for Christ made a difference in their lives and persecution followed. This morning I want you to know and understand and expect that when those dead leaves begin to fall away in your lives, when, when you begin to take your relationship with Christ seriously and when you begin to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit of God, you can expect persecution. You can expect some family to turn away from you. You can expect some friends to no longer come around. You can expect even sometimes church people to turn their backs on you because maybe you're too, you're too crazy for them. You're taking this thing too literal and too seriously. I've seen it happen. Realize that Christ brings a change, that the Spirit empowers you to, to, to live a new life. But it will bring persecution. Continuing on this morning, we see that when the leaves fall away, when that nudist begins to come to our lives, we can expect peace and courage. We see persecution, but we also see peace and courage in the middle of it. Look with me once again at Scripture at verse 29. And let's see how Paul responded in the middle of the circumstance. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. In Lystra, if you remember back to, to that passage of Scripture, Paul had been stoned. 
And then right after it began to walk right back into the city. And then we see, we see a little bit later in Philippi that Paul was beaten and as soon as it happened he began to sing praises unto God. And now here in Ephesus, Paul is like an immovable rock in the middle of this confusion and this violence that's beginning to erupt. He had peace. He had courage. Even in the middle of this persecution. It reminds me of Daniel content in the lion's den until daybreak. Or King David looking at Goliath off in the distance and saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? There was a peace and there was a courage that comes with serving Christ. There was a, a contentment. There is, the Bible says, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory when we are led by the Spirit of the living God. How did Paul display this strength? How did he have this peace in his life? Well, his heart was pure. His conscience was clean. There were no walls between him and God. And when that happens, you can rest assured that God is on your side. When you're walking in His Spirit, when you're being led and directed and guided by Him, there's no need to be afraid. There's no need to worry. As a matter of fact, you can stand with courage and boldness knowing that God is on your side. They trusted in God. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. The Hebrew word for perfect peace, I learned this some time ago, is actually shalom, shalom. You get that? Double peace. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, shalom, shalom. Because you trust in Him, you are enveloped in His peace. Because you're being led and guided and directed by Him, you can be assured of His peace. Even though we read Scripture, even though we, we listen to good preaching, we go to Sunday school, we watch and listen to gospel music, many of God's people are warriors. They're afraid. They're, many are paralyzed by the fear of what could happen or what may happen or what they think is going to happen. We need to reclaim our God-given shalom, our God-given peace in Him. We need to trust in Him. So this morning we see that we can expect persecution when new life comes. We see that we can expect peace and we can expect courage. But finally this morning when the leaves fall away, we can expect God's providential care. We can be assured of His providential care in our lives. Look with me at Scripture once more. Verse 35. Some of the crowd prompted... Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to all the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. 
If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And then when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Do you see that? Do you see what just happened there? Paul was sure that violence was about to break out. He, he could probably feel it in his bones. He just knew that it was going to be Lystra all over again. That it was going to be Philippi all over again. That he was going to be beaten and perhaps run out of town just as we've seen this formula emerging here in the book of Acts. But our God was in control the entire time. Our amazing God knew what was going to happen, was in control of the situation and directed everything and used everything for Paul's good. One author said that when we're brimming with the Holy Spirit so that our life is made new, we experience a personal assurance that God is in control. Let me ask you this morning, what season of life are you in right now? Is it a perpetual winter? Is it cold? Have things crept into our lives that don't need to be there? And I don't always mean just the, 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 the tangible things, the visible things, but the attitudes in our heart, the motivations that we have. Are there practices there that we don't need, that aren't godly? Are you being used for His service? Or is it springtime in our lives? Are the old leaves falling away because new life is pushing them away? The sap is running and everything's going well. Are we spending our time and our money differently? Are being, we being renewed and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit? And are we ministering that new life to other people? If you long for a springtime of renewal in your lives. As I close this morning, let me share this with you. First of all, yield to the Holy Spirit. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Let Him order your steps. Let Him direct you and lead you. Open up your heart. Confess with your mouth. Maybe you need to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior and make that confession for the first time. But even those of us who have served the Lord for a long time, sometimes we need to, to make a confession. We need to spend some time with Him. We need to ask God to strengthen us. We need to ask Him to give us His grace. And we need to do what His Word tells us to do. Submit to Him. And as we do that, we can rest in Him. New life in Christ. The old has passed away. Those old leaves have fallen away. And all things have become new. Let's pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we are once again thankful for Your Word for the opportunity to study it together. 
And Father, I pray that this word would be in us, that it would begin with me this morning. That we would see a springtime of renewal and new life in our lives. That there would be a difference in us. That people would be able to watch us and listen to us. Or simply just be around us and sense the Holy Spirit's power in and through us. That it would spill over into other people's lives. That it would make a difference for someone else. But Father, this morning we also know that that new life brings with it several different things. And one of them can be persecution. When we fully submit to your guidance and direction, we may be abandoned. We may be cast aside. We may be even stabbed in the back. But even though we walk through that persecution, there is peace and there is courage in you. There is an authority that comes with knowing we are a child of the living God. And we can stand on your word. Father, we're thankful to know this morning that we have your providential care in our lives, that you are watching over us. The scripture that comes to mind is, if your eye is on the sparrow, if you care for that, that small bird that you created, how much more do you care for us, your children, created in your image? Father, this morning let this word be an encouragement to us. And if we desire that, that renewal, that springtime in our lives, if we want to see those old leaves of self and death and sin fall away, it begins with our yielding to your Spirit. It begins with us opening up our hearts Receiving you as, as Savior, confessing you as Lord, asking for your grace and your strength. Lord, sanctify us, set us apart. May we be growing in grace and in knowledge of you and who you are. May we listen to your word and may we rest in you. There is a peace that comes with serving you that passes all understanding. Grant that to us this morning, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.